look into the Bible today, thought about how Christmas reminds us that God loves us incomprehensibly. If today you could say that you can comprehend and understand how God loves us and why God loves us, help me with that. Because it's truly not understandable completely how God loves us the way he does and why he would love us the way that he does. His gift, motivated by that great love, provided us with the greatest gift that we could ever receive. Have you ever participated in a white elephant gift exchange? Anyone? It's really quite an intriguing idea, isn't it? Where you purposefully get and give someone something that is odd, ugly, maybe just downright awkward. And it's great for a lot of laughs. You know, you just find something and try to give it to someone. And you've probably participated in those before. Many of you, I've participated in a few over the years. A couple of times when my whole family got together, we would do exchanges of white elephant gifts. And you try to give someone something that's as useless or humorous as possible. I mean, just to have fun with it. But maybe, maybe there have been times where you've been given a gift. It wasn't a white elephant exchange. Someone, well-intentioned and well-meaning, got a gift for you and they presented it to you and you didn't quite know how to respond to it because though they were serious, it wasn't a white elephant gift. They were meaning well, they, they had great intentions, they give it to you, and truth be told, it's just ugly. Or it's odd. Or it's awkward. And you're left with, how do I respond in this moment? Like, I'm not prepared for this. A good friend. Maybe it was a sibling. Maybe it was a spouse. Gave you this gift and... You received it, and you thought to yourself, this is horrible. But I've got to say something nice. I don't want to make this person feel bad. And so you've got to come up with a way to respond to the gift right there on the spot. A few years ago, a family member was given an idea for a gift for me and sent me a very special Christmas gift. Knowing that I am a big Dallas Cowboys fan, my brother-in-law ordered from uh, online a hoodie and had it sent to our house for Christmas. And I'm so excited. It came a little after Christmas. The, the shipment was delayed, and that should have tipped us off that something was up with this company because they had a 30-day return policy and it took them more than 30 days to even send out the sweatshirt. 
And so when I got the sweatshirt, though, I was excited. Finally, the gift had come. They had told me already what was coming. It was a Dallas Cowboys hoodie. It was one I especially had asked for because it was the one they used that particular season around Veterans Day. So it wasn't just Dallas Cowboys. It had the American flag on it. It was kind of camouflage colors, military colors. I was really excited about it. I tore open the package, unfolded the sweatshirt, and it was one of those, how do you respond to this moment? Because as I looked, when on the front, it should have said in big, bold letters, Dallas Cowboys, it said Dallas Conboys. And I was like, well, this is awkward. <laughs> Not really what I was hoping for, or what I was going for. So we let my brother-in-law know. And even though it was the company's fault, it took them more than 30 days to ship it out. They wouldn't do the return because it had been more than 30 days outside the return policy. But how do you respond? I did the best thing I could. I laughed. I made it a work sweatshirt. I wore it to work sites or, you know, if I was doing different projects and people who would see it would laugh and make jokes about, yeah, that's right, them, them Dallas convoys, you know, they're a bunch of, bunch of people who'd been in prison and stuff anyway, convicts and so on, but you just laugh about it. Maybe you've had that type of uh, an experience. Well-meaning, well-intentioned, and it, was, it just didn't turn out right. And you weren't sure how to respond. But the reality is the gift that is at the heart of Christmas is not like that. We may struggle to find a response for it, but it's not because it's awkward. It's not because it's ugly. It's not because it's odd. But it's because it's the greatest gift that we could ever receive. The gift, that gift of Jesus that came because of love. We've been looking at the heart of Christmas, and we've seen that at the heart of Christmas we find joy, and we find peace, and we find hope. But right at the center of the heart of Christmas, and perhaps the most important gift that we find at the heart of Christmas is the heart of Love, Because God's gift of Jesus to us demonstrates his unending and unfailing love. Above all, at the heart of Christmas, is love. I want us to look at Galatians 4 today. And in our text, which is verses 4 through 7, this represents Paul's record of the advent of Jesus Christ. We so often focus on the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and how they record the gift of Jesus. Joash, would you get the door for me? How they represent the, the gift of the coming of Jesus Christ. Galatians, Paul shares it as each of the gospel penmen do, just from a little bit of a different perspective. He shared it uniquely with the believers at the church of Galatia because they were caught up in working to receive something from God. Paul reminded them that God sent Jesus apart from any works of theirs. 
The Galatian believers had gotten caught up in this belief, in this practice that I need to do to earn something from God. And in Galatians 4, Paul is telling them, he is showing them, no, you need to remember that God sent Jesus apart from you doing anything. God didn't send Jesus because you earned that gift from God. God sent Jesus because you can't earn something from God. Paul reminded them that Jesus' coming was a gift from the heart of God because he loves us. Look at Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. He declares, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Jesus Christ. What does Paul reveal in this text? I read this text in my personal devotions a couple of weeks ago, and the thought struck me about the perfection of it all. This text reveals the perfect time. God sent his perfect son in a perfect way for the perfect reason to accomplish the perfect result according to his perfect will, and then the, the biggest question, why? He tells us what. He tells us when. He tells us who. He tells us how. The how is even a little bit of a head-scratcher, isn't it? When you understand the totality of Bible truth, virgin-born. How can a virgin conceive a child? But do you know what's even a bigger head-scratcher? Is why. Why would the perfect God of the universe do this? The answer is all because of his perfect love. Galatians 4, 4 through 7 demonstrates how much God loves you because G God sent Jesus to you and for you apart from any work of yours. You did nothing to receive that. You did nothing to earn it, and neither have I. So today, let's think about what kind of response a gift like that gets. Let's look at God's love today as revealed through the truth of Galatians 4, 4 through 7. In Paul's description of the advent of Jesus, we'll find the reaction of God's love, the reason for God's love, and the results of God's love. Think with me, first of all, first of all, about the reaction of God's love. Now, I want you to think for a moment. What God's love demonstrated in this way is a reaction to. So often when you think about actions and reactions, you know, there's a law of physics that states every action has an opposite but equal reaction. 
You think about the action of, of what led to God reacting in love this way. And do you know what we come to the conclusion of is this. That God reacted in love this way not due to any goodness of ours. You might think that someone giving a gift like this, someone giving a gift so great, someone giving a gift so demonstrative of love would be because of the goodness of the other person. You think about the biggest or the greatest gifts that you've received in your life. The biggest gifts and the greatest gifts that you've received in your life, apart from the gifts of God, have probably come from someone who loved you. But truth be told, you loved them as well. Most of my most memorable gifts have come from family members. My wife, my parents. Yes, even the Christmas I got six pairs of shoes. Most of my most memorable Christmas gifts have come from people who I know love me, but I also love them. But do you know what's true of the greatest gift you've ever received? God loved you. Not because you were good. Not because you loved him. It's not the positive response from God because of my positive response from him, to him. God's love is demonstrated in this way as a reaction to the disastrous choices and results of sin. Think about that. God sent his perfect son. All because of his perfect love in reaction to the reality that you and I are sinners. That we choose against Him. That we reject Him. That we rebel against Him. Does that not boggle the mind? As we consider the revelation of verse 4, we find the perfect time. Have you ever been in a situation where you were waiting on someone to do or to say something? Maybe you're conversing with someone and you've asked a question and then there's that awkward pause as they're formulating a response and you're just standing there waiting for the response. Or maybe you're waiting on someone to do something. You're both involved in an activity of some kind, a project of some kind. You're working together on something and you're waiting for the other person to do something before you continue and you're just waiting and waiting and and it gets awkward it feels like it's been an eternity and finally you ask the other person what are you waiting for and they might say something like this i'm waiting for the right time i'm waiting for the perfect moment have you ever thought about why did god wait why did he wait at what point did it become obvious that humanity needed a savior Way back in Genesis chapter 3, right? When Adam and Eve partook of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they sinned. No longer was God coming to the garden and they were ready and, and joyful and at peace about receiving God and communing with Him. This time God showed up and they were waiting, hiding. 
They were looking forward to seeing him. They were ashamed. They were guilty. At that very moment, man needed a savior. And God promised a savior, but he didn't send the savior then. In fact, it would not be until about 4,000 years, according to the biblical record, after that fall, that God would send Jesus. Why wait? You ever thought about that? We read the record of Scripture, and to us, maybe it doesn't seem like that long, but 4,000 years is a pretty good length of time, isn't it? For some of us, this year has felt incredibly long. 4,000 years God waited. Why did he wait? Paul declares that God sent Jesus when? When the fullness of time was come. The Greek word used pleroma means repletion or completion what fills or what is filled it identifies an end a fulfillment or totality of a time period you can look through the scripture and find evidences of what the perfect time was perhaps one of the best is in daniel chapter 9 there the bible records this in 24 through 26 Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness to seal up the vision and the prophecy and to anoint the most holy. There in that verse, God says during this time period that he has identified, everything's going to be completed. Sin will be finished, will be brought to the full. But then righteousness is going to come in. The most holy is going to be anointed. He goes on and he says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. That's 69 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be of a flood, and unto the war, the, the war of desolations are determined. What, what's he talking about here? Seventy weeks is seventy weeks of years. Each week is seven years, so 490 years. And here he says that after 483 years from this command he identifies is when the Messiah... Jesus will be cut off. He'll be killed. He'll be crucified. Nehemiah chapter 2 identifies that command he's talking about when Artaxerxes gave Nehemiah the opportunity to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls and rebuild the city. Jesus fulfilled that prophecy 483 years after that command was given. He entered Jerusalem the week of his passion when he was crucified. The reality is that we, while we may not be able to identify all the reasons why God waited, God was fulfilling his perfect plan and purpose for the coming of Jesus. And think not only about the perfect time, but how about the perfect son? The Bible says here that God sent forth his son. The word sent there means to with a mission whom did god send 
for his most important mission, his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him might not perish but have everlasting life. God sent his only in the world on a mission, a mission of love for us. He sent him the perfect way. Paul identifies made of a woman, which signifies the virgin birth in his humanity. Also made under the law, which signifies his heritage. He was a Jewish man but also the bondage of the law. You see, the Bible declares to us that we are all in bondage to the law because of our sin and the condemnation it begets. The law does not breed righteousness. The law shows us that we're sinners. You think about even the Ten Commandments. 